Hello, I'm Ellie Warden. Welcome to the Heart to Mind Transformation Station, sharing stories related to the importance of building legacies that lead to greater health and wealth within your family. Come on, get on board. Today, I'm here with Donald Snyder, author of the newly released book, Through the Entrepreneur's Eyes, collection of millionaire, mentor, and mentee business relation case studies and Beyond the Bling, both available on Amazon. Donald, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. I am glad to be here. Looking forward to doing part two of part three series so that we can help our audience learn a little bit more about entrepreneurship. Absolutely. You know, as I was reading the foreword of your uh, eyes book, I saw that your granddaughter, Amalia, wrote a stirring commendation of your efforts as an entrepreneur. She called you, quote unquote, a person who is all about entrepreneurship. Give us the Cliff Notes versions of your of your background and explain why you feel entrepreneurship is the path to building a financial legacy. Well, now since you brought that up, it just made me reflect back on basically what our parents usually try to do to make sure as we're growing up that we do our chores or housework. And I had no idea that by me cutting the neighbor's lawn or shoveling the neighbor's snow during the wintertime growing up in St. Louis, I had no idea that that was somewhat doing entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship was not talked about. So just cutting grass and mowing and shoveling the, uh, the neighbor's snow where I was getting paid to do those type of things. And also, I was a Sunday paper boy in our suburb of St. Louis called Webster Groves, where I delivered the Sunday paper in like a wheel cart with two wheels and one hook in the back so the cart could stand up. And those papers were pretty big. It was the uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And Ellie, I'm sure you remember those papers that we was growing up. I on do Sunday. remember. Those papers had everything. And they were huge. Yes, they were huge papers. And then during the summer, I would my mother would kidnap me where I would be doing baking for the summer. She she taught me how to bake cakes, pound cakes, upside down pineapple cakes, walnut cakes. And I ended up selling those cakes to our corner stores, which in most cities, they call them 7-Elevens and all that. But our stores were called confectionery stores. So I would sell my cakes to the confectionery stores and they would sell it by the slice back then. And not knowing, again, that this was entrepreneurship, I had no idea. That really played a part in what I was able to do later on by reflecting back on those things that I did growing up. And it's interesting that you say that because it really is kind of a mindset that you need to have because you were doing things, okay, in the summertime. I'm sure it was very hot riding on your bike with those big old newspapers or in the wintertime when you had bad conditions because that's just how the weather in St. Louis was at the time extreme hot cold bad good but at least you were out there every day doing something what's the kind of mindset that's really needed today though as we look at this volatile economy well it's interesting again i i didn't realize that i was only reason i did those things was because i wanted my own money i got tired of getting my allowance from my parents and i said i would like to make my own money so i would be in control of what i did with it because a lot of times your parents will give you allowance, but then they want to kind of dictate what you should do with that allowance. So when you had this mindset of get out there, do it every day, find the opportunity, as we always say in today's world, find the problem, create the solution. How did that work within your family as you grew up, as you not only 
was the, you know, the child, but then you became the adult. You had children of your own to spread that to. How did that work for you and for them? Well, it taught me that my parents gave me a lot of things, sent me to private school. I had a car when I was 16 in high school. Matter of fact, I had a Mercedes Benz in school when most folks in my, in my group, their parents were doctors and lawyers and accountants, and they drove cab lights. But it, it was a thing where I'm glad I was blessed. I was not affected by materialistic things. When I got to college, having a car was not that important. Or what kind of car? I just wanted a car that was going to be workable and provide me transportation. So I was not caught up in materialistic things, which helped me to become a saved person, a saved person of saving money. I did not want to spend money. I did not want to buy the best of everything. It was just more important for me to save money and watch my account grow. And I don't know what got me to that, but it happened. And I'm glad it happened. Remember in our last conversation, I was talking about how the difference between the baby boomers and the millennials and the difference in savings at the same time, let's say 1989, when baby boomers were the age of millennials today, that there was a difference of back then baby boomers had 21.3% of the economy, whereas now with the millennials, it's only four point something percent. How can you really justify that big of a difference? How can you explain it? Well, it comes from, I think, just basically having your parents lay a good foundation. Um, my parents made sure that, that we had everything. Like I said, I went to private school. I had a Mercedes Benz when I was, they made sure that I had a good car. But the point was that somehow, I don't know what clicked, but I wanted to be able to do these things on my own. I did not want to depend on my parents. I wanted to reach a point in life where I wanted to do some things for them since they sacrificed and was so nice to me that it drove me to figure out how do I get to make money and provide not for myself, but for my family. And that's just how it came out. Again, it wasn't about being materialistic. A lot of my friends were materialistic. A lot of my friends did very well. But at the end of the day, they did not save very much money. They were spending. They would tease me because I, I would wear T-shirts under my dress shirts because I didn't want to perspire on my good dress shirt. I didn't want to have to send it to the cleaners where, you know, they thought it was cute to tease me about that. But at the end of the day, when they needed some money, they would come ask me, could they borrow? And I would tell them no. <laughs> That's right. They needed to establish that habit on their own. And you weren't the bank, were you? No. Well, but it's interesting because you eventually did work on developing a bank. Isn't that correct? Yes, I did. We didn't complete it. We started doing the bank of the year of 2006, 2007. That's when the economy as a whole was struggling financially. And we just didn't realize that we were just the group of guys I was with. We were just anxious to have a bank that would bridge in the city of Detroit, would bridge the African-American and Hispanic community financially. That was our mission. As we were struggling to raise the money for the bank and to have a community bank during that time, you had to raise at least $8 million to open up the door of the bank. And that money had to last you for three years. But what we were able to do, we raised $4.5 million in one pot. And then we had to raise another $1.2 million in the other pot because starting a bank is like no other business. In the 1.2 million pot, 
That was money that went for leasing a building. That was the money that went for hiring a president, a CFO, a senior credit lender. That money went toward leasing the equipment that you needed to operate the bank. Now, you're not generating any money. You're just having all this stuff prepared and ready so the FDIC and the state can come by and see that you're on the corner of Maine and Maine, and you actually have the assets to open up a bank. There takes a lot of research to do what you're just talking about, and certainly in the development of any business. Now, you talk about owning a bank. That sounds big. And we all have come through that series of time where bigger sounds better. We want to have a, who wants to have a small LLC when we can have a a big sounding S or C corporation? And then, of course, there's the nonprofit. So when we start to look at our business structures, is bigger sounding always better? And what advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs as they're beginning to open up and, and kind of do the legal process that goes along with creating a business? Well, number one, uh, when I started my business, Paper Plast, it's an automotive manufacturing company where we serviced uh, Chrysler, Johnson Controls, Dana Corporation, Cummings Engine, all those big companies that my company supplied. But as you know, my name is Donald Snyder, but my name was not on the building. I was not hung up on my name being on the building. My thing was I wanted a name that would represent the products that we were servicing, paper, plastic, which means we were trying to do paper products and plastic products. And my energy and effort went into that. And what I tell young people is, whether you have an LLC, an S-Corp, the point is those companies are so you can make a profit. But it doesn't hurt for you to have a non-profit on the side. You don't have to do either or. I have two companies. I have one that's profit called Metro Business Connect. And I have one that's a non-profit, which is CBA formula, which means conceive, believe, and achieve. Why do I have a non-profit? Because when I do business with like DTE utility companies, or if I do non-business with other non-profit corporations, with their mission statement, they need to spend money with other non-profits. So why would I lose out on that opportunity by just being a profit company, but I don't have a non-profit company? And this is what I try to tell our young people. You need both. It doesn't hurt to have both. But a lot of times people think that in a non-profit, you just can't make money. Isn't that what the purpose of it being a non-profit is all about? Yes, they have the wrong take on a nonprofit. Nonprofit, you're allowed to pay yourself if you're the president and CEO. You're allowed to pay your staff a salary, and you're allowed to cover your overhead and do a lot of things. You're just not running to the IRS saying, "I got this nonprofit company, and by the way, I have, you know, I made a hundred or fifty thousand dollar profit." The profit is supposed to be turned back in to the company. And with that money that you have earned, they like you to have a mission where you are distributing the money to other entities that need that type of help. So when you look at all of the different types of corporations, you can have the LLC, the S, the C, the nonprofit for the the upstart, the person who really is just getting their feet on the ground. Which one would you recommend that they begin with? I recommend they begin with the LLC. Having a C-Corp About 15 years ago, people stopped using C-Corp because it became a taxable situation where you was like double taxed. Having LLC, you're not double taxed. It's it's a single tax based upon the money that you make and that you pull down. So I would start out with the LLC and see how you operate with that. 
And when you give it to your uh, CPA, he'll tell you the advantages and disadvantages of having an LLC. And then from there, you can switch to something else. Does my LLC have to correspond with the mission of my nonprofit, though? If I put the two of them together, can one be headed in one direction, the nonprofit be headed in a different direction? Yes. When I started my nonprofit, is interesting. I have a nonprofit that I started back in 2004. And at that time, because, you know, the laws change, you know, federal government changes. If you see my nonprofit, it will say CBA Formula INC incorporated so basically nowadays you don't if you have a nonprofit, it's not incorporated it's usually an llc but i came out in 204 when when incorporated was used for everything okay i got it things do change and that's really an important part of what you're saying so really having the right legal representation goes a long way. First of all, you have to have have a bank. You got to have some money behind you. You've got to have the legal representation so that your paperwork is filed properly. And then you also have to have a good CPA because if your finances aren't in order, you're going to need the legal because you may be going to jail, right? Correct. Yeah, we don't want that. We want to avoid jail at all cost. But you know, Donald, one of the things I look at You know, we're in a world where it's hard to keep ideas contained because everything is out there, you know, on the global scale. How do you keep your business ideas from being stolen? We see that a lot in the news, that ideas get stolen, tweaked a little bit, you know, and and now you've got the small guy having to try to pursue some legal action against the Goliath. How do you how do you protect yourself? Well, basically, uh, I would say most ideas. I would not put, I mean, you, you hear on the news that every now and then somebody's idea got stolen. Nine out of 10, if you have an idea and if it's not intellectual property, like a Microsoft or an Apple or, or something of that nature, you really don't have to keep it a secret. I mean, if you are into baking pies and cakes, cupcakes, and you're trying to sell retail stuff or you got an idea to have a retail product. The point is, you don't need to spend energy because, number one, to bring that stuff to market and to create that stuff to sell, you have to have good credit. You have to have cash flow. You have to have the passion, the sacrifice, and the energy to devote to that product. Believe me, for somebody to steal that idea, they would have to have all the things that I just mentioned to steal it. So I would not waste energy on being secretive. Matter of fact, most business deals that I've done, I shared it with everybody. Why? Because when I do come to market, I've already got a customer that's interested in buying from me. They've heard what I was going to produce. They're waiting for me to come to market with it. I don't have to start from scratch because I've been talking about it and hyping it up. And again, the reason I was not concerned, most people did not have good credit. They didn't have the down payment. They didn't have the investment. They didn't have the cash flow. And they probably didn't have a financial institution behind them that was ready to invest in them. That's a pretty tall order that you put together there in terms of having the credit, the finance, the passion, the all those things that a lot of times we eliminate, you know, oh, well, I'll just do it on a little bit of money or boy, this looks like a good deal. I read online that you can make $100,000 every day doing this. Why is that such a trap for people? Well, people really don't want to work that hard. People really don't want to 
invest the sacrifice. They don't have to worry about somebody whispering in their ear or sitting on their shoulder saying, you shouldn't do that. Or I was standing in an unemployment line and some people were saying, not a good idea to do that. So why would you listen, why would you listen to someone that's in an employment line with you telling you don't try to pursue something? People look for the easy thing out without researching and really doing the work because you really got to do the work. And I would suggest, especially when you get into franchise businesses, be it whether it's hamburgers, be it where you're selling ice cream or whatever, go work for that business. Just uh, fill out application and just be a regular employee. Learn the business from inside by being an employee just to see what the inventory is like, how much the product costs. How much can you sell it for after you pay the cost of the product? How long does it take it for it to have a shelf life? Those kind of things you need to know. And when I did McDonald's, when I did Kentucky Fried Chicken, when I did those entities, I went and worked as a crew person, as an employee, sweeping the floors, wiping the counters down, waiting on customers. I did all of that before I got my McDonald's franchise. And I got my Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. They didn't know me from Joe Blow. I was just there as a person willing to work for whatever they was paying me. So you're saying starting from the ground level up really can be beneficial to you as you start a business. Absolutely. I think that may be one of the issues that we're looking at is that because we've become this very uh, soundbite kind of world, we expect to have instant gratification. We want it now. We get started. I put down my money. Why aren't I successful tomorrow? What's wrong with that that philosophy? That philosophy is wrong because in America, it just doesn't work like that. I mean, you could go back to all these during the real estate market when people would sell you a half a million dollar home that you really couldn't afford because you could step in and just pay interest only. Uh, that was a wrong thing to do. That was taking advantage of people to do that. They saw these nice big homes that they could get that they really couldn't afford, all because there was a trick in the game. Interest only, which means what? In three to five years, if your boss has not given you a large raise, or if you haven't hit the lottery, or someone died and didn't leave you a large estate uh, where you have a whole lot of money, when that third or fifth year came around, you were in trouble. You had to pack up and get out of that house because you did not have money to pay the principal. You had money for the interest, but you only got in because at the time, that's all you had was money for the interest. No plan for you to ever have the principal. Again, we go back to the whole concept of planning, don't we? That you have to be prepared for all types of things. It's just like with whatever car you buy, whatever house you buy. Yes, you might get into it originally, but then you start to think about, oh my gosh, what happens when the plumbing gives out or what happens when the air conditioner goes out or with the with that expensive car? Wow, I just need a tune-up and now it's 600 bucks, I can't afford that. What is it that allows us to, you know, it's kind of, I guess, that whole I need it now kind of concept, but how do we really fight against that? I mean, do we really have to kind of do the math first and, and then make that kind of emotional decision? Well, you have to have some level of discipline in your body and mind. You have to be disciplined to understand that stuff, you know, if it's too good to be true, then it's not true. And you have to rely on stuff like that in order to make good decisions and judgment. That's why going into business, any kind of business, that's why if you go get financing, they look at your credit report. They look and see what type of decisions you have made which indicate to them, are you 
really a responsible, regimented person to pay me, or are you going to deviate and buy the frills and be taken in by this and that? That's the purpose of them studying your credit report. It's important then that you really pay attention to those types of things. It's not a matter of, well, I'll pay this bill next week or now I'll do it next month because when it comes back to your credit rating, those are the kinds of things that uh, I would say that the banks look at, wouldn't you say? Yes, and something else people are overlooking. In the state of Michigan, I was really surprised they let it pass. In the state of Michigan, maybe about maybe about 15 years ago, that if you don't pay your utility bill on time, utility bill can start putting that negativity on your credit report. Up until 15 years ago, that utility bills just had to just take a walk and cry in their in their tea because they weren't able to leverage anything to get you to pay them. Now that the law has passed, that is on your credit report, and people forget about that. So, so don't overlook your utility bills and think it's okay for you to pay them at leisure. You are getting marked up on your credit report. And it's also good for you to check and see if someone else put their utility in your name. You know, it's like I put my R in my mama's name kind of thing. And and here you are trying to get credit and realizing that your grandchild put their utilities in your name and skipped out on paying it. There you are. You've got something on your credit for $300, $400 that you don't even know is there. That's why the credit bureaus say, please check your report every year. Every year to kind of see the activity that's going on. If you can check it every six months, it's even better because there's people always hunting and looking for ways to utilize your credit because theirs is already messed up. I did have that situation happen. I had checked my credit and I saw something on there. I disputed it and I had to dispute it a number of times in order to get them to listen to me because it was it was a small utility bill. But I knew one thing. I had not lived at that address ever nor had anybody that I knew had lived at that address. It took a little while. I'll tell you that it took a couple of years before somebody really listened to me and then got it removed from my credit report. But once it was, boy, I tell you, I probably gained a good 25 points. Mm, mm, mm. Well, it's really something how somebody who messes with your credit will make it, it become an inconvenience thing. I mean, you're spending every day worried and concerned trying to fight it. And I don't wish that on anybody. I've been blessed so far that uh, I have not had to do that. Well, that is a good thing because it was very frustrating. It was almost like maybe $125. And I can't tell you how much time I spent trying to just get it cleared off, but I did eventually. And one of the things that my tax advisor was saying is that oftentimes people will not follow through. And so therefore the credit bureaus win because you just forget and you don't follow through. But when you want to start a business, having good credit is essential. Let's talk about your legacy very quickly, though, because I know that one of the things as an entrepreneur that you really have in your mind is to create a business legacy. What are some of the things that you would recommend to anyone who's trying to build a, a, you know, basically a financial legacy so that they have something to pass on to their kids? I would suggest that they start meeting with their kids, find out what their children are interested in, and then help guide those children and let them know that even though you may want to be a doctor, lawyer, an accountant, a dentist, etc., that at the end of the day, understand that you're getting a nice paycheck, but that paycheck 
will provide things for you today, but tomorrow for you to pass something down to your children or to bring it back to the family, you need more than just your paycheck because your paycheck can be taken away in a minute. So basically, you need to talk about how do I build the family trust? How do I build the family bank account that we all put money in so we have money there? Because what makes us, you know, you hear that term kicked around about middle class, middle class. What makes the middle class the middle class is the amount is on their paycheck. But every year when January comes around, be it Ford, Motor Company, GM or whatever, they decide we need to lay off people. And what do they do during January? They lay off people. So you come back to work, you got a pink slip. So basically, you went from middle class to what? The unemployment office. So you have to look out how how delicate being middle class really is. And the reason it's so delicate is because they were defined by what their annual income was, which could make somebody rich temporarily, but they didn't have any wealth. And there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Even Magic Johnson found that out. Well, Donald, you know, this is all very sobering information. The advice is well worth adhering to. So I hope that our listeners will take notes and review what you've said and put these things into practice. It does make a difference because it speaks to being prepared, first of all. It speaks to working together as a family unit, like you said, to have that legacy building togetherness that works towards generational wealth. And it's not just enough to have the desire to be successful. You really have to get out there and get your hands dirty, get down in the dirt, do the work, but also to have the knowledge of how to work within the system. Yes, I agree. That is great. If anybody listens to these past two podcasts, they could walk away with great foundation information on what to do because we've laid that out on what they need to do, the conversations that you need to have with your family, things that you need to be concerned about. Uh, If I start a business, are you going to get hung up on putting your name on the building or that you're going to get hung up on is somebody going to steal my idea? Don't waste that kind of time and energy. Just go ahead and do what you're going to do. And that's what I know that our listeners are interested in. They're interested in your message and they're going to be interested in what we're going to talk about in next week's part three We're going to discuss, what's the topic for next week? Topic next week is the entrepreneur mindset and how you can be successful during these trying times. Wow. That's a mouthful right there, but that's a brainful. And like you said, it is a mindset to make sure that you are prepared for whatever is coming our way. And listeners, don't forget to check out Donald's books through an entrepreneur's eyes collection of millionaire, mentor, and mentee business relationship case studies and beyond the bling, both available on Amazon. We want you to make sure that you're prepared when it comes to developing your business and not only that, your financial legacy. So until then, thank you so much, Donald, for all of the pearls of wisdom today and to all of our listeners. Take care. Take care. Thank you. This has been the Heart to Mind Transformation Station. I hope you enjoyed today's program. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tune in again next week.